Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Today we're kicking off a new Christmas series called The Gift. Pastor Nicole is going to draw our attention back to the true meaning of Christmas as we look at the significance of each of the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. We've probably all heard of the frankincense, myrrh, and gold, but why did the wise men bring those gifts? What is their importance and what do they symbolize for us today? That's what Pastor Nicole is going to help us uncover over the next few weeks. So let's get started and begin our Christmas series, The Gift. Here's Pastor Nicole. We are starting a new Christmas series. Um, And as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus in the Christmas season today, um, we're launching into a new series we're calling The Gift. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three different gifts that some wise men gave to Jesus around the time of his birth from Matthew's gospel. So if you don't know the story, Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod, and some wise men, or you might call them magi, traveled a great distance to come and worship Jesus. So let's start with just a tiny bit of Bible trivia this morning. How many wise men were there? How many wise men does the nativity say they were? Tell the person next to you what you think. Give them the, give them three. What do you think, Pastor Andy? It's just a trick question. It's a trick question. <laughs> yes. So, so we always see three wise men in every nativity scene that they make. But the truth is this. We actually don't know how many wise men there were. Matthew 2 does not tell us. Now, we tend to think there were three because there were three gifts. But in reality, there's no, we have no idea how many there were. Chances are there could have been dozens of wise men, uh, but tradition tells us there are three. So what we do know for sure is that these wise men were highly educated, they were likely incredibly wealthy, and they were desperate to meet the one who might be the new king and savior of the world. And I asked Pastor Andy if he would help me read scripture today. So let's start in Matthew 2, uh, verses 1 through 2, and then 7 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Down to verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, so the scripture tells us that when they saw the star, they were filled with joy, and they entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped Jesus. And then just, just be in the scene with me for a moment. They say, they say to Mary, we brought gifts. Okay, we're excited. We brought gifts. And they opened their treasure chests and gave the baby gifts, and it says of gold, frankincense, 
and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you ever wondered, just for a minute, what Mary might have been thinking in that moment? I'm a mom. Any moms in the room? Okay, when I had babies, people brought me gifts. They brought me diapers. Okay, they brought me pacifiers. They brought me uh, onesies. They brought me cute little fuzzy blankets. They brought me things that were helpful for babies. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm, I'm imagining this in my mind. But Mary might have thought, ooh, gifts. Oh, gifts. Gold. What am I going to do with frankincense and gold and myrrh? In fact, myrrh was used for when you would bury someone. And so Mary might have had a moment there that I, I think there may be a time and a place when a man brings a woman a gift that she wonders what he was thinking, right? Don't raise your hand if that's you today. Um, but these men, these wise men, offered these gifts. Now, it turns out, as strange as they may have seemed, these gifts were not only valuable, but they were incredibly practical and deeply spiritual. In fact, all Bible scholars agree that these gifts were not only eventually useful for this family, and I'll tell you why as we go through the weeks, but they also foreshadowed some images of what Jesus would represent. In fact, these gifts were prophetic in nature. They were prophetic in nature. Let me just give you a similarity on some level, a very small level, uh, to a sports story that I read recently. In 1987, at Christmas, a mother bought her little boy a $25 little tyke basketball hoop. It just thought, I think my son will enjoy this $25 little tyke basketball hoop, and this gift completely changed the future of the entire NBA. Because LeBron James says this gift was the most memorable he had ever received. That this gift from his mom spoke to the potential and the future of his entire life. Here's a picture of him getting that little basketball hoop as, as a child. So, so today, what we're going to talk about is these gifts that Christ was given that were given largely in a prophetic way, in a way that was, without maybe them even knowing it, was foreshadowing what Christ would become from the very time that he was born. So today, we're going to talk about frankincense. Next week, we're going to talk about myrrh. And then week three, we'll talk about gold. But before I tell you the meaning of frankincense, um, I want to tell you just a little bit about frankincense. Okay, so I consulted my essential oil advisor. Everyone should have one of those. Mine is my sister-in-law, April, um, who is just the most kind and wise and patient friend. I'm always texting her, what kind of oil can I smear on bug bites? <laughs> How about dry skin? How? She's probably tired of my questions, but she's always so helpful uh, to me, and she's always mixing me something up that somehow fixes problems I didn't even know I had. Um, but according to my essential oil advisor, April. Frankincense is an oil uh, that's kind of like a Swiss army knife. It has a ton of purposes, okay? Frankincense oil possesses antiseptic, astringent, diuretic, digestive, sedative, uh, vulnerary, therapeutic properties. I googled that one. If you guys wonder what we do all week besides preach as we look up stuff <laughs> online about things like that. Um, but frankincense was very expensive, but it was a very practical gift that helped heal sicknesses or treat wounds. And so Mary could have used that gift in a practical way on baby Jesus, on her, her other children. She could have used that gift when there was injuries or different things that would happen. But more so, frankincense was known as the oil that the priests would use 
during the sacrifices to burn the incense. Okay, so when the incense was burned, it made smoke that would rise to heaven. And the smoke would symbolize the prayers of the people that were rising in faith to God. So Bible scholars agree that frankincense represents prophetically that Jesus was and is our high priest. So the priest in scripture served one big primary role. He would be the representative of the people before God. So, so what the priest would do is he would perform the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And as the priest, he would take an innocent animal and sacrifice it to represent the forgiveness of the people's sins. A person would sin and the priest would do the act to absolve the person from the sin. And secondly, the priest prayed prayers on behalf of the people to God, representing the people to God. A person would tell the priest, here is what I want to tell God. And then the priest would pray and tell God. You see, but the priest was a very important part of every person's spiritual journey in the Old Testament because he would perform the sacrifices and he would pray the prayers. In fact, without the priest, no one could get to God. Okay, so track with me here. So what is being foreshadowed here with the gift of frankincense is that Jesus is about to become the link between God and every person that the priest will no longer have to do it. No one has to pray the prayers for you. No one has to come and repent for you. Jesus is replacing the priest. And not only will Jesus become a priest, he will become the priest, the great high priest. In fact, in the New Testament, this is spelled out really clearly in Hebrews 4. Uh, Pastor Andy, will you read that verse to us today? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Yeah. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That's so good. So like I mentioned before, one of the biggest roles of the priest in the Old Testament is to offer the sacrifices. Now, just a little bit about sacrifices, because I think that seems like a pretty foreign uh, concept to us now in the 21st century. But since the very moment in the Garden of, Eve, of Eden, when Eve sinned against God and evil entered the world, there became this, this kind of war Okay, these two opposing forces. There was the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, good and evil. And, and they've been in this cosmic wrestling match um, ever since then. And I think in our culture today, and amen this if you believe it too, a lot of people don't want to come face to face with sin. Like we don't even really want to call evil, evil. We don't want to live in the reality of sin. We prefer the concept to just be like a little softened, you know? We, we prefer to live in gray areas. In fact, we wince a bit when someone takes a stand on a particular issue, and sometimes we resist the idea that some things are right and some things are wrong. We don't have to like it. We don't have to agree with it, but we resist that. And we try to find like the loopholes or, or, or the, the runaround of, well, well, I mean, it's wrong except if, 
It's wrong, except in this case, or in this particular culture, or in this, this country. In a news article I read recently, it quoted a modern-day politician who said, sin is a very outdated term to trick children into being good. That is a misunderstanding. Sin is not something that uh, we have to casually look at. We as believers in Jesus have to understand the reality of sin. And why do we have to talk about it? Because the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, if we don't understand the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. Like if we don't understand that some things are just right and some things are just wrong, we will never be able to stand before a holy God until we realize what it truly means that God is holy. We'll never understand the cost and the tragedy of what sin does to us. Let me ask you this question. Do you have a casual approach to sin? Does it bother you when wrong things are being done? Not just to you, but to others, to those around you. Here, here's a really uh, good way to uh, answer that question for yourself. How does your own heart deal with your own sin? It's really easy to be frustrated about other people's sin, isn't it? It's really easy to be righteous and, and, and just and, and indignant when other people are doing wrong things. But how about your own heart? How does your own heart deal with your own sin? Do you give yourself a pass when you're hurtful or mean to someone else? Do you recognize things that you watch or listen to when they are not godly and feel convicted about that and change it? How often do you think about your sin? When is the last time you said to God, man, I'm sorry? Like, I'm sorry for acting or feeling or doing those things. I'm sorry for not doing those things. You see, God is holy and perfect. And the reason why we have to call sin, sin, and the reason why we have to come to the reality that some things are just right and some things are just wrong is because we'll never understand the holiness of God if we don't understand the ugliness of sin. Does that make sense? And so the word holy, it kind of comes from this Greek word, agios, which means separate or other. And here's the thing. God is transcendently separate. Like he is perfect in every single way. I think in some ways it's hard for us to understand this because nothing else in the whole world, no person, no thing, nothing that exists is perfect the way that God is. He is other. He is flawless. He is pure. There is no fault, no wrong, no stain in him. His power is holy. His grace is holy. His mercy is holy. His glory is holy, right? His holiness knows no bounds. His otherness makes him worthy of our praise. In fact, you just right now, uh, I just want to take a minute and just tell God he's perfect. Just tell God he's holy and he's perfect. Just do that in your own way. You could say it out loud. You can sing it. Just God, you're perfect. You're other. There, there's more than I can understand about the otherness and who you are. So just worship God right where you are. Just, just for just a minute, 60 seconds. God, we worship you for your holiness. God, your otherness. God, we thank you. There's no one like you. You're flawless.
our God is holy, and we are not. And we have all sinned and we've all done something wrong that missed the mark of holiness. And we have not met the standard of God. And this breaks our intimacy with a holy God. You see, he's perfect and we're not. So the more sin we engage in, the further and further we get away from a relationship with God. You know, I think we get confused. We think if we sin, God is unhappy with us. Or if we sin, God doesn't want to see our face. We think if we sin, we should stay away from God. Have you ever maybe talked to someone or met someone uh, that says, like, I'm too, I've done too many bad things to go to church, right? I've done, I've, I, God doesn't even like me. I can't ever get to God. But we think if someone else is a sinner or is engaging in sinful lifestyle, they should not be here. But listen to me, we're wrong. We have that so wrong. God hates sin because it disrupts intimacy between you and me, you and him. God hates sin because it disrupts intimacy between you and him. He hates sin because it takes you further from him. He doesn't hate you for sinning. He hates sin because he loves you so much. He hates the thing that pulls you far from a relationship with him. In the Old Testament, one time a year, the highest ranking priest would make a sacrifice as a temporary payment for the sins of the people. It was known as the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And the priest would sacrifice an innocent animal and go into the tabernacle because uh, behind the veil into the place known as the Holy of Holies. And you know what the priest would do? The first thing the priest would do once he got into the Holy of Holies is he would light the frankincense. He would light the frankincense and the incense would burn and the smoke would rise and the priest would take the blood of the innocent animal and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And this would symbolize the death of an innocent one in place of the guilty ones as a payment for our sin. And when Jesus came to earth, the kings brought him frankincense as a gift because Jesus was about to replace everything the human priests were doing. In Hebrews 10, 4, it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See, see, Jesus is saying, look, this is what you used to do. Let me tell you, let me blow your mind for a minute. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And Jesus is speaking here. Um, Pastor Andy, would you read to us verses 8 and 9 out of Hebrews 10? First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Though they were offered in accordance with the law, then he said, here, am, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the sacrifices again and again. But that's only temporary our high priest, whose name is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. He's about to totally change the narrative here. And even as a baby, the Magi are handing him the very gift that symbolizes that. Let's keep reading Hebrews 10. Verses 11 through yeah. 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all 
one time for all time, one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus. Yeah, you can give God thanks for that. Hallelujah. Jesus, our great high priest. He's not just a distant savior that feels sorry for us. He is a high priest who understands and cares. And he is the priest who made the ultimate and final sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Let's just read one more passage from Hebrews 10. It goes on and it tells how we can respond to Jesus, our great high priest, the priest. And it gives us instructions. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So Hebrews 10 tells us we can come boldly to the throne of a gracious God, our high priest. You can come to him because he cares for you. He understands you. You can come as you are. You don't have to be afraid to come to God. You don't have to pray in some eloquent way or know a lot about the Bible. The high priest of your life, Jesus Christ, wants to know you. In fact, if you're here today, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as the Savior, King, and Priest in your life, I want to invite you to do that. This Christmas season, it's all about getting closer to Jesus. If sin has kept you far from God, He's not mad at you. He just wants you to come back to Him. He's not mad at you. He's not waiting for you to figure it out and clean up your act before you come to him. Maybe you feel far from God and you wanna come closer to him. I want you to come to these prayer tables to my right and to my left and pray with the prayer team before you leave today. Jesus is your high priest today and he wants to know you. So I asked the team to prepare this closing song. It's named Holy Forever in light of talking about the holiness of God today. And I just wanted to create some space to spend a few moments with God in his presence. In your own way, in your own style, just be with Jesus, our high priest. And let's not rush through this Advent season. It'll be here and gone before we know it and we'll be facing a new year already. But the wise men, as many as there were, knew that Jesus would be our high priest. So they gave him a gift of frankincense. They said, this is part of your calling. This is part of your destiny. This is part of what we believe is going to happen is he is going to be our high priest. And surely he was. And so as the priests gave, or the the magi, excuse me, gave their gifts, I'm going to ask you if you would give your gift of worship today, just for a few minutes as we sing this song. You're welcome to come to the front and 
of course, pray or, or worship at the altar, but maybe you just want to sit in your seat as well or pray with someone next to you. But let's just really make this last song a really holy moment, singing to God from generation to generation that he is holy forever. I pray, let's pray this morning. God, I'm grateful, I'm thankful. I'm grateful that you are holy. I'm grateful that you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you. I'm sorry for the things that I've done to keep me far from you. I, I collectively repent on behalf of our church the things that we have done that have kept us far from you. God, we're sorry. And we pray that we could know the holiness of God as we face the reality of sin. God, we're sorry as a nation for things that we have done to, to sever our relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would forgive us, that you would bring us back to you, that we, you would bring us back to you in a way that uh, that is supernatural. God, that people in, in leadership, people in, in all types of leadership, Lord God, would have a, a miraculous encounter with who you are. And together as a nation, we could just repent for the ways in which we don't honor you. God, we trust you. We know you are holy forever. And so God, today we just come face to face with the reality from the moment you were born. Your destiny was to be our high priest and so much more. So God, thank you for being that ultimate sacrifice for each of us today. And God, it's in your name we pray.
holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Eerie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eeriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.